Hi, welcome to a new episode of Open Book with Eitan and Itai. We have a new guest, Leanne, with their new book, The Wagamama Bride. We also have my lovely wife, Shifra. We're so excited to have you, and uh, we'll talk, and people, you know, the listeners will get to know you a little bit in the show, but just me personally, I met you, and I felt an amazing energy, and then I read the book a little bit, and I felt even more amazing and more connected to you. And then I met you again, and then I finished the book, and now I'm meeting you again. So each time it's just been like, it's just been like a connection. You really keep track, don't you, Anton? Uh, yeah, You're good. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, great to be here. I'm really excited to be in Pomerantz, which has been my favorite bookstore in the four years I've lived in Jerusalem. So to see my book here and to have this opportunity to talk to you, about the making of my story, The Wagamama Bride. It's very exciting. So I'm here to answer whatever you'd like to. For sure. Up. So to start with, I'll just give everyone a little bit of background. Um, so I'm ta- literally preaching to the choir because you wrote the book. Uh, but your book tells your story as you lived in Japan, got married in Japan to a Japanese man. And it goes through your life and how you ended up coming here. And uh, what I felt and what I've told people interested in the book also is that Zemamash, like, it's like Zemamash, instructive almost. I see, I see the decisions in your life or in your husband's life or this person or that person. And I just feel like I'm, I just feel like you compi- compiled all the wisdom from your life. So it's not just a story. It's, it's meaningful. Thank you. Thanks for saying that and, and I was um, I was assimilating the the spiritual experiences that I had in Japan first through Taoism and Taoism is a kind of cryptic form of Torah it it's all about um, uh, understanding nature and understanding our the duality of things what we call the yetzer how are the yetzer tov that there's always a, there's always two sides to things and so in the f- first years of my marriage i heard quite a bit about you choose this life you choosing this life you made this choice to marry me and um and so your soul wants this experience so this is what i heard and i went along with it as a journalist, as well as a wife, I was fascinated to document what was going on. I was actually running alongside my own life with the notebook and the pen and writing about it for the newspaper, the Japan Times, and other um, opportunities that I had to uh, process what is Taoism in modern-day Japan. What is it like to be inside an Eastern medicine clinic as a fly on the wall and see what spirit, deep spirituality looks like in a contemporary society which is not spiritual at all. So they were going against the flow. They were the Haredes of, of, Japan. of Tokyo. You know, and for me coming from a non-observant, non-orthodox background, it was ironic. I was thrown into... The, the, the orthodox of Japan. The orthodoxy. Exactly. Which was perfect. It was a primer for Chabad, because when Chabad arrived, it was like, I know you guys. I've been living in this world <laughs> for the last 12 years, and you can't fool any fool me with anything. I got, you know, I understand your number. And what, what I understood there is that first you do, then you understand. 
that was a big lesson for me. And, and because once you start doubting, and, and I came from really a, a street smart, skeptical New Yorker, I didn't trust anything that I couldn't rationalize. So for me to to actually be softened to the point after 12 years in Japan in this orthodox Haredi Tokyo environment, I'll call it, I was ready to just absorb it and then understand mm. it gradually. Uh, but I also say, too, that I didn't leap into this Baal Teshuva journey. I didn't say, okay, this is it. I'm going to become more religious. No, I didn't say that at all. I, I, I said, I, I meant, at the beginning, I almost felt like I was a celebrant. I'm going there to celebrate with this Chabad family. There were very, very few other uh, Jewish women who would come regularly. They'd come for Hanukkah, they'd come for Pesach, but to come every week, my family were basically the only ones who were doing it for years and years and years. And one of the reasons I could do that was that Aki, my ex-husband, was really into Chabad. He loved going, and he soaked up the spirituality there, and he saw the rabbi in his quaint Taoist way as yet another master for him to follow. So that's that's one of the things I found interesting is that you know, in, in the beginning of your story, in the book, you, you make the decision to marry someone, a Japanese person, who a Japanese man, your husband, who's who wasn't and isn't Jewish. So in the beginning, it's kind of like, you know, I'm Jewish, I marry Jewish. Like, it's kind of like, there's friction. I'm reading the story. Like, well, like in, in, in that sense, like, from a story point of view, like, the marriage working out is not a good thing. But as the story goes on, like, I almost, I learned to love him. And I saw... I saw how much he tried, and he kept Shabbat with you. He kept this. He tried to do that. Dairy, dairy separated from me. Like, like I, I feel like there's like a lot of love there, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's not to get so touchy. I like I'm just saying. I really just saying what I saw. Yeah, I I wanted the book to express that we have two children, and the children are the product of our love in our relationship and I don't want our separation to overshadow the good things that come out of that very long marriage. We were together 28 years. We were married for 26 years and uh, the children, I, I want them to be, to love their father and be proud of him and be proud of being Japanese. I just wanted it more balanced and right. it wasn't possible by remaining in Japan. Do you think that um, a Jewish person pursuing Jewish spirituality can be married to someone not Jewish? Do you think that that's after your experiences, do you think that's something that can work? I can only speak for myself. Honestly, uh, I know many Jewish women who remain married to their Japanese husbands and they're making it work. But my story had. Uh, but how, how connected st- are they to their to their Judaism to their to their heritage? That is, I would say, the holidays mean something to them. That's good. Uh, and giving their kids a Jewish identity, bar mitzvah, was important to them. Uh, Brit. 
that, yes, I believe, but I I wouldn't I wouldn't want to generalize, and I would say that each person has a, a different story. Just like what is a marriage? A marriage is different for every couple. What is Shabbat? A Shabbat is different for every family. I mean, we're all we we create our own universe around the relationships that form our lives, and so it so happened that I fell in love with a man who was spiritual and met a spiritual man, period, until then. And when I first heard him say, I'm not interested in the material world, I'm interested in the spiritual world, I knew so little that I thought maybe ghosts and goblins, you know, I didn't know what (laughs) what spiritual, I did not know. Do you know now? Of course, I would say I, I, I do because of the, I would say, the spiritual world is embracing the hardships. I would say that is the spiritual world. It's it's not about going to Machu Picchu or or taking photographs by the Western Wall. It's really, it's really embracing whatever happens in your life and seeing that there's actually something good to glean from whatever happens. A, a lesson that can apply for for the future to help um, open new paths in life. And so out of my hardships came a life in Israel. And so, you know, I thank my daughter, especially my daughter has bipolar disorder and we were not getting the kind of care and treatment and love that in Japan, in Japan. And so it was our Chabad rabbi in Rabbitson who said, go to Israel, you'll, you'll find the treatment you need. So I had a very unique story compared to my friends. Nobody had a story like right. that, where there was really a life or death urgency to, to change to the environment to get us into a different situation. That's something, and yeah, go ahead. How, how has that experience been for you? Has it, has it been that help, the helpful, like, has it been helpful for you? Has it been the well, she mentions in the book. Helpful, I would say, in terms of your your daughter's care. Helpful is not one of the first words that jump to mind when I think of Israel. <laughs> it's, it's not a helpful country. It's a challenging country. It it forces you to be stronger than you ever imagined possible because um, this government and these ministries put so many hurdles in front of you, so that. I would not say helpful, but I would say that the love of the people that I found here um, sustain us and uh, and make it possible, and especially for my daughter. She's found love and community and acceptance and, I would say, even admiration for who she is. That's great. That's amazing. So something, something I found interesting is that uh, towards, let's say, I just want to say the first half of your book, uh, your husband's working at the White Crane White Crane Clinic. And there's a lot of times that he makes a decision based on based on spirituality. What's the right thing for him spiritual spiritually? Whether it's to give up his pay, whether it's different things, or to spend more time at work. And it's something I found fascinating because it's something that I think happens in the Jewish world also. But like the way I was taught was that the work comes second to my wife and that if by 
hanging out with her, spending time with her. That's where the money will come from. In the beginning, I was thinking, maybe maybe he knows something I don't. But then I saw, as the book went on, he came to the realization. And he, for one thing, he, he quit working in a, a place where he was being overworked. He made a lot of decisions. He went on vacations with you. He went on a couple's retreat with you, I believe, in Florida. Made these decisions. And then I was, like, thinking, wow, like, how grateful do I have to be to my teachers who are saving, who are saving me years to, re, to find out all that stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just, I felt really grateful. That, that's what I was telling you about instructive. That's what I meant. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful that you got it from your teachers and, uh, growing up, uh, in a home where my father came home at six on the button right. from his job in New York city, commuted to Long Island in the door and where's dinner and we sat down and wow that sounds wonderful so there was a there was a nightly ritual and in, in structure to our lives around the dinner table around us being together com- communicating and and so i didn't have that in my marriage for the first seven eight years and that was rough that was rough that was really rough Gosh, I, I really, I really felt, I felt your pain when I, and I told, and I, I, I even called you, if you remember, I called you and I said, I'm reading this and I'm feeling your pain. Mamash. Thank you. I, I want to say it was rough, but I knew that I'd chosen this. And when I say that, it wasn't that I was sitting there looking out the window through the curtains. I was a journalist. I always had assignments to do. I always had more work than I could handle. Mm. And I wonder if I had a husband who came home at time and I had to make dinner for us, would have cut back on my work. Maybe I would have not been as satisfied with my career if I had him around all the time. So it was a double-edged sword. I could see that there was something really good that came out of it. Wow. And uh, one of the things I, I touch upon briefly in the book was uh, because he wasn't home, our house, you know, I could do pretty much everything I wanted <laughs> in the house. So I turned it into a school, into a learning center. And at one point we had 12 classes and we had teachers coming in and out of the house all day and all night. Basically, he didn't even know because he didn't come <laughs> in until 11 o'clock at night. And, that, and so that was the the upside to this is that I could create a very interesting life because I, I had carte blanche. I had, I had a free, he was fine with me doing that. He would say to me, for good or for bad, your life is your life. And so, you know, on, on the other hand, I, I kind of would have liked him to say, you know, your life is our life, but that was never in his program well, we, we never know what the exact words are that we need to say <laughs> we we don't we don't but i think i think he also could see that i was passionate about writing i was passionate about teaching then i became an artist and then I, an art teacher so i was i was when i do something i do it really a hundred percent and he gave me that space to do it and that was very that was very amazing. I really appreciate that he was able to to do that. That's wonderful. So we're going to go to a break. Uh, tell the listeners, if they haven't heard yet, a little bit about Pomerantz Bookseller. And then we'll be back with more from Leanne. Your favorite bookstore, Pomerantz Bookseller. Still going strong as ever, selling books to the Jewish public in Yerushalayim, 
and the entire world. You can contact them at 02-623-5559 for all your Judaica needs, whatever book you want, however obscure they'll do it, their, their very best to have it available. If they don't have it available, they'll even do their very best to get it in for you. They offer delivery all over Israel and all over the world. And they're going to be coming out soon with a very amazing, special, wonderful website. Check them out, 02-623-5559. That's 02-623-5559. All right, everybody, back to the show. I want to preface the next segment by saying that me, me and my wife, were, were, we're Sephardis. But my, my, I have a rabbi here and I have a rabbi in America. My rabbi in America is Chabad. I just want to preface it by that before saying what I will say. That I love Chabad and I have a lot of respect for Chabad. Okay. <laughs> so, one of the more striking books, one of the more striking moments in your book for me was when you went to Tzfat and you saw the other religious people and you realized you thought you were addressing religious, but you were addressing one type of religious, Chabad. Yeah, and I think that was a, that was a revelation for me too. Yeah, and I, I want to hear your thoughts, but I think that's what happens a lot is that people get exposed to Judaism through Chabad, and then they absorb everything in one shot, and then they, it can be very difficult even because there's with Chabad there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stringencies, a lot of stuff that other religious Jews might not do. Just like the other religious Jews might do traditions, traditions that Chabad won't. Right. And traditions yeah, and yeah. reading uh, all of uh, Tehillim, the Shabbat before Rosh Chodesh. These are people, and people might see reading all the Tehillim before, uh, the, before, on the Shabbat before Rosh Chodesh as equal to like, like not eating dairy and meat together. I think, well, right. what, what, what do you think about that? Well, as I said before, I was a fly on the wall to their customs, traditions, learning, and never expecting to go further than being an observer, you know, right. being, and that's a kind of a, a, the double meaning of being an observant Jew is that you look, you see, you, you, you absorb what you can, but there's things now. So I'm observant, still, you're observing. Observing, you know, to be an observant Jew starts with, with observing. Interesting. Right. And so I felt, I felt comfortable because Goodness, I was in Tokyo. It wasn't in a Jewish Chabad community. Right. The rabbi called his little house on a back street, Torah Island, right. because it was just such an isolated little world that we were in, cocooned. Um, and so everything that went on in that Chabad house was amplified by the fact that it was so unique that we were in Japan. If I had been in Crown Heights or I'd been in London or right. or some other place, I would have gone, okay, yeah, this is interesting, but so what? But to spend Shabbos around the table with tatami flooring underneath us and sliding doors and, and all the rest that comes with the Jap Japanese atmosphere and having Japanese guests around the table, double take. There was a time when there were three, this is a quite well known in the Haredi community, there were three yeshiva boys who were caught at Narita Airport bringing in an antique, which was actually loaded with drugs. And so for three or four years, Satmar fathers would sit around the table in their big mm -hmm. hats, their big mink hats, 
you know, this was not, this is also surreal as well. We would see all kinds of Jews turn up at the Shabbos table. So, yes. Wait, why, the, why were there Satmars? These were the family members of the boys who were incarcerated for oh, bringing they in, came to Japan to visit them. The drugs. Yeah, they came in. But you would see the Basta vendors, you know, fresh from Thailand, coming in with their tattoos and their uh, flip-flop sandals. And you saw all kinds of people there. And and the only only thing one could do was be yourself. And I think that was my my goal, was to be more of me. Whatever that meant, I wanted to know. We we don't even have a chance these days to know because we're inundated with everyone telling us what we are, what we need to be, or what we need to buy. And it's, you never just have a minute. And I think, like, if a lot of people could just take a minute and be like, like, they'll feel disconnected with their, with, if it's their heritage, or if it's with their parents, or if it's with their family. Because I think you wanted to be yourself, whatever that meant. The fact that, the fact that that's accompanied with uh, whatever that meant, the fact that we don't, really have such a chance to know like I know I know who I am in relation to my wife I know who I am in relation to my father but who who am I you know and it's how often do we get to know that and we're always changing also I think for most of us and more so in in, in the 21st century we're in reactive mode almost all the time you know we're reacting to whatever's on our screens we're reacting to whatever somebody needs of us we're reacting to good news and bad news we're in reactive mode and we're not we're not operating from taking the initiative ourselves most of the time i'm in that place i'm i see how reactive i've become what's on what email is there to respond to what's on facebook i have to respond to this and it's a like a nervous twitch so i think that this this age is especially challenging because we are connected for good and for bad it was also wonderful things about being connected worldwide through the internet but i think it's especially challenged because of this reactive mode that we that we're in and i found shabbos was extremely helpful for me to switch off and tune out and walk with empty pockets through the neighborhood. That's great, yeah. And that kind of brought me back to this state of, of, of being myself. Mm-hmm. No agenda. It was wonderful. I thought, I need more of this. And what a gift that we have this holy day. To do nothing or to be with other people. It's, it's, it's all like I, my understanding is like it might all, even almost be antith- antithetical to the Japanese culture to spend a day just doing nothing. Um, yes, this is true. <laughs> I won't. De- I won't deny it. And um, one of the prized words when you're asking somebody how are they, how are you doing? Isogashi. Isogashi. I'm busy. Right. You know, that you're revered because you're busy. So, yeah, this is this is kind of a... Mamash lo in Israel. It's a di- different different culture here, you what, know. What do you say here? here? I don't know what you say here, but I know that the the work week here is traditionally longer than elsewhere because it's, it's, we tend to be less productive. It doesn't say in your book, which is why I'm asking, what what did the Chabad couple in Japan think of your marriage? Did they ever say anything? Did what, How, you know? They were incredibly supportive. They were very respectful 
of our marriage. They met with Aki many, many times. Individually, Aki would uh, go with Binyamin up to Tohoku after the earthquake. And he actually spent two years following the rabbi in order to write a book about him. He had a lot of admiration. And he felt in his own cute way that Binyamin was the perfect Taoist. <laughs> <laughs> so He's the only one who could turn a Chabad rabbi into uh, into the perfect Taoist, because or, or he was he was the Hasidic version of Kevin Cosner. Meaning, did you ever see that movie, The Bodyguard? Mm-hmm. He's living his mo- life through his mission, and mm-hmm. he's giving it a hundred percent. So that's Lechatadam. And to our listeners, they have a special offer. They can get your new book for 10% off if they call now 02-623-5559. That's 02-623-5559. If you live in Israel, we can send it to you or you can come pick it up. We ship all over the world. Thank you. Okay. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Mamash, thank you for coming. And thank you for writing your story and putting your whole heart into it and writing it throughout the years. Thank you. I appreciate it, Eitan. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you.